turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter number 12, or chapter 21, sorry. I was reading this week, I was reading this week, and uh, you know, when you're reading straight through, it kind of gives you a little different picture than it does just, uh, and just sections and I don't know if I got greedy on this sermon or not but I kind of wanted to share with y'all what the Lord showed me this week and uh, it tied on my message today well let's let's look at the first verse here verse uh, 23 Matthew chapter 21 verse 23 it says and when he was coming to the temple the chief priest And the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And let's let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll start. Amen. We know from John chapter 1, you can look at it if you want, but John calls Jesus the word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And and when we look at Jesus as the Word, and we look at the Bible as the Word from God, so I just kind of put those together, and the Pharisees, what we're going to look at today is we're going to see the Pharisees asking some questions, and they're going to send some other people to ask Jesus some questions. And they're approaching Jesus, and they're trying to find a way to trip him up. He's been teaching and people are listening and the, the publicans and the harlots and, the, and the, the sinners have all been listening to Jesus and hearing his words and being convicted about their own life. And they've been learning from what he's had to say. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders and the elders of the people, they had their positions. They had, they had their place that they were proud in. They were, people went to them for, because they were of authority. And when it came to God's word, if someone had a question, they went to them. They didn't consult the the scripture. They they deferred everything to the Pharisees and to the scribes and to the Sadducees who were a sect. You kind of think of different denominations or you think of different beliefs. The, The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed that when you died, you died. They believed in God, but they didn't believe that there was a resurrection. And we're going to see in these questions, and I think it's five of them today, but uh, any one of these would be a sermon on their own, but we're going to look at them all kind of together, this incident. So in verse 23 is where it start, uh, starts, and then we'll be heading over to chapter 22. It says, And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority... Doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? There's different ways to approach the word of God. You can approach the word of God in belief. You can approach the word of God in disbelief. And they were approaching Jesus Christ in disbelief. You remember our sermon when we talked about Nathaniel and about about the disciples when they came to Jesus and they believed that he was the Christ. The Pharisees believed he was just a challenge to their position. And they say, by what authority doest doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. 
Jesus answered him and he says, the baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did you not then believe? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people for all hold John as a prophet. One thing to notice here is that when Jesus asked them this question, they're calculating the impact of the question. They're calculating how it's going to make them look in front of other people. As they approach the word of God, first they're asking what authority? The, the authority of God's word comes from God himself. And when they're asked a the question, they don't base it off their own belief. They base it on what everyone else is going to think of them. He said, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did you not believe then? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people. We fear the people. We fear the people. For all hold John as a prophet. And they answered in Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. See, the thing is, Jesus was there to answer the questions. The answer's available. But there's things that, there are roadblocks to you getting the answer. When you go into the Bible, how do you approach the Bible is my question today. And we see that in these questions. And then he begins to give a couple parables. Look at verse number 28. And I'm going to read through these really, really quick. I'm not going to preach on them, but I'm just going to kind of hit the high points of these parables because they're relevant. It says, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. And verse 29, he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, sir, I go, sir. And he went not. And then he asked the Pharisees, which of these two was obeying his father's will? And then the Pharisees, verse 31, whether of them twain did the will of his father, and they say unto him the first. And Jesus saith unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Jesus didn't hold back when he was talking to the Pharisees because he knew their heart. And I'm showing you these things because then when we get to this other part, you'll understand. For John came, into you, came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not, but the publicans and harlots believed him, and ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. And in verse 33, he gives another parable. He says, here another parable. There was a certain householder which had planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And verse 35, and the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Verse 36, again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. Do you see the typology in this parable? Do you see who Jesus is pointing to? The prophets that were sent to the Jews over the ages, they were tortured, they were beat, they were, they were reviled, and then God sends his son, and he's letting them know that they're going to be rejecting him. 
And he's giving them a parable about it. He said, but last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do also? What will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. I can almost hear in the Old Testament, thou art the man, David. And and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him fruits in their season. And Jesus saith unto them, did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to the nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Jesus didn't hold back. If you come at the word of God and you say, what authority? And you come at the word of God and and these questions, I just kind of look at them as we go through them and ask yourself, have you ever approached God's word in this way? Go down to, uh, he says, uh, verse number 43, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests, in this part pay attention to, and when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. The Pharisees were afraid of the people. Their authority didn't come from God, it came from the people. And Jesus tells another parable about, the, about heaven, but go down to uh, verse number 15. And that was a parable of the marriage feast that he tells. But down in verse number 15, after the parable, it says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. So they can't trip him up, but they begin to take counsel with each other, and they all gathered around in a huddle. And they say, how can we mess him up? They have no interest in what he has to teach. They have no interest in the things that they can learn from him. They have no interest in him being the son of God or the Messiah. All they have interest in is how the people think of him. I think a little bit about Simon the sorcerer over in the book of Acts. He he saw all this great power when the Holy Spirit came on. He said, give me this power that when I lay hands on people, they receive the Holy Spirit. And I think of Simon, you know, before time he had done witchcraft and he, he had made himself to be some great man in the people's eyes. And when he sees that going on, he said, man, if I had this power and I could just lay hands on people and they'd receive the Holy Spirit, he was going to add it to his repertoire. Let's put it like that. <clears throat> but here they're trying to get Jesus out of the way. They, they want their authority. They want to keep their authority. So they get counsel together. And they say, well, how can we trip him up? And this is where the questions really start. They question his authority first. Next, they're going to question his loyalty. Look at uh, verse number six. And they sent out to him their disciples, their disciples, that's the disciples of the Pharisees, with the Herodians, saying, Master. Now, the Herodians, Herod was the king. Herodians were the politicians of that day. They send out their disciples, who are the religious ones, 
And they send out the Herodians with them, which are the political ones. And they're about to ask them a question. And, and it's going to involve both groups here. It said, Master, and listen how they approach him. They're looking to entangle him, and they begin to flatter him. Say, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of man. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? What do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? So they question in loyalty. Every question they ask has that double, dual-edged sword. If he answers yes, it's lawful to give tribute to Herod. They can say he isn't loyal to God, but he's loyal to Herod. If he says no, it's not lawful to give tribute to Herod. And they can say that he's against Caesar. He's against Herod. But look what Jesus does. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye? Why tempt me, you hypocrites? When you go to the Bible, this Bible knows you. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of men. When you go to this Bible, the Bible knows what you're going at it for. How many people have you known that have banged their head against the Bible because they keep asking, why this, why this, why that, why this? And they, they just get frustrated with God's word. They get, get no answers from it because they're not going to it for answers. Because it has to fit in a box. It has to fit in this certain way. And that's where the Pharisees are. These things have to fit in the box. And you see with these questions that they ask him. It says, why tempt you me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought it unto him. And you know the story. They brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose image is this, and whose is this image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. You know, we still have to live in this world, and there's a truth in that. There's a whole sermon in that, in each one of these questions. But I want to look at it overall. You know, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's the things that are God. We still have to pay taxes. We still have to live in this world. We should still vote in America while we have the opportunity. We should still take care of our bills. We should still take care of the, the local, the legal system. You know, the things that we need to do legally. You get a speeding ticket, you pay it. You, gotta, you owe taxes, you should pay them. That's Caesar. But render unto the things of God the things that are God's. They couldn't pin him down on this. The Herodians had nothing. And the disciples had nothing. And then look at verse 22. This is their reaction. When they heard these things, when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Like, whoa. Whoa. We know the story, but imagine hearing it for the first time. You thought you were going to trip him up, and they, were, they just marveled at it and walked away. So verse 22, when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. And now we have, I call it question number three, they want to know about the afterlife. And the same day came to him the Sadducees. Brother Grady taught me something a long time ago that just stuck in my head. They're sad, you see, because they have no hope of the resurrection. 
Now you can share that. So the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother, likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Now that's a sad story. Now they, they, they ask their pointy-headed question in verse 28. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. In verse 29, and Jesus said unto them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Jesus always cuts right to the heart of the matter. You approach this Bible and you're looking for those vague questions. You know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? I try to think of some of these questions. Can God create a rock that's so big that he can't lift it? If God can't lie, then how can he say this? I don't know. How can a loving God? All these questions, they, they ask questions of it. They're not looking for answers. They're looking to trip God up. They look in the Bible and they see, they see the... Well, in some cases, genocide took place. I mean, there are some wicked things that took place in the Bible. We spoke about it this morning over in uh, Judges, what had happened. What had happened? Over in the book of Judges, toward the end of Judges, one of the last stories you read, it's awful. It's hard to even recount it. Uh, Megan was looking at a, a comic book Bible or whatever from 1978, and we were just kind of looking through it, and I said, yeah, does it have that story in it? And we flipped to the judges, and oh, no, it stops at Samuel. So yeah, they're not going to talk about what happened to the concubine and what happened with Benjamin and what happened with, with uh, getting them wives, even though they had said that they, they swore that they wouldn't give their daughters to Benjamin, all these things. But you know, God, at the end of Judges, when you read the last verse of Judges, God, God puts a note in there. I'll let you know. It's God's word, all of it. But God points us out, warts and all. When God talks about the heroes of the faith, he points them out, warts and all. You see where they mess up. You see where they do good. You see David and Bathsheba, but you also see David repenting. You see David against Goliath, but you also see David in the Psalms crying out to the Lord. Lord, forsake me not. And over there at the end of the book of Judges, it said there was no king in Israel in those days. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's kind of like God is just saying, just so you know, that's what they came up with. There's certain places you don't go to for doctrine, but you go there for lessons. So how do you approach the word of God? Do you want to tempt it? Over in... Uh, Colossians 2.8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And over in 2 Timothy 2.23, it says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. Sometimes it's fun to debate, but it's not always useful. So, after all of this, it said... Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven, 
And this is verse 28, for they all had her. And twenty nine, Jesus answered and said unto them, you do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. The reason we go to the Bible is to understand the power of God and understand what he truly wants for your life. For in the resurrection, they have neither, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but as are as the angels of God in heaven. Verse 31, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Amen. And he just, he just pointed his finger right in their face and said, you're wrong about the resurrection. I know this is a different kind of sermon, but I wanted to share this with you guys. They're just seeing that. They come at him with these questions, and Jesus comes back at them with Bible. He knows their hypocrisy. And when you approach the Bible with hypocrisy, he'll close it up. I've seen people that go to it, and God will give them what they're looking for. If they want to be critical of God's word, he'll let them have that bit. Here, look at this. Oh, yeah, you, you think there's an error here. Go ahead, run with that. But when you go to God's word with an open heart, and when you go to God's word and say, and, and you begin to see, and God shows you something in your own life that needs to change, if you walk away, you can, you can look just as spiritual on the outside, like Saul we were looking at in Sunday school. Saul was rejected from being king and served as king for 30 years. On the outside, he was king. But in God's eyes, he had already, the kingdom was already taken from him because God had the long look. God saw that David, he gave David an eternal throne. He saw Jesus coming through the line of David. He, God saw past what was right in front of Saul. And it'll be the same with the word of God. And I'll show you that here before the end. So he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then look at their reaction in verse 33. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. They were just amazed. Verse number 34, but when the Pharisees, and this is question number four, when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. And then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they wanted to stump him on the resurrection. The Herodians didn't believe in following God, so they wanted to trip him up on his loyalty the Pharisees didn't believe he came from God. They wanted to question him on his authority. And now this lawyer steps up, and he wants to debate the finer points of the law. There's ten commandments. Which one of them is the greatest commandment? Now Jesus answers when you get a little further down. And he said these commandments all... And I'm paraphrasing because I'm not up there, but I'm sneaking my way back up. But all these commandments are encompassed in two commandments. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, verse 40. 
So verse 37, Jesus saith unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know what Jesus just did there? Let me take you back into my past a little bit. When I, Because y'all never knew, heard about me. When I was selling cars, I haven't told this story up here, I don't think. But when I was selling cars, you know, the manager, he taught me the four square. Now, let me tell you something. Car dealers are not your friend. Car salesmen are not your friend. Matter of fact, the car salesman may just be a puppet for the general manager. But he showed me this four square. And in that four square, it had four different things that had to do with the deal. One of them was your down payment. One of them was your monthly payment. One of them was the total cost. And one of them was something else, whatever it was. I'm not trying to teach you how to sell a car. But you put those points in there. And the general manager would fill it out, and you'd go in there to negotiate with the person, and he, you know, they would say, well, no, I really need a monthly payment to be this. Oh, your down payment. I didn't cover that one, right? So you go back in there to the general manager, and the way it was explained to me, you go back in there, and by the time you're done, that thing looks like a battlefield. Nobody remembers how it started. But there was one cell that I did, And because I was a puppet, all I could do was marvel at what this young man did. And we had a Jeep on the lot that had belonged to a woman that was a male lady. And she had her DVD with the GPS or whatever. You know, this was 2005, so you figure how good that is. But it would slide out and the screen come up. And it was a Jeep. And it was a nice vehicle, used vehicle. And I go in there with him and and lay out where the general manager made the offer. And that young man sat there, and this is relevant now. The young man sat there, and he said, I want to put this down. I want to pay this much total. I want this much for monthly payments, and he had it figured out. And I want this much on my trade-in. You can imagine, I, I wasn't partial in this. By now, I'm starting to get wore out on all this stuff this was one of my last sales at this dealership. And I'd been cussed out by the manager before when somebody walked on me. And I take it in there and I sit down and I said, he wants this, 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 and this. Let me tell you, most people, most people will go there and they'll say, well, I can only afford this much a month and I got this much money to put down. And buddy, I tell you what, them other squares can go wild. They'll start blinking. <laughs> Even though it's just paper. And manager scratches his head. Well, I'll do this, 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 and this. Okay. I take it back in the office, and a young man looks at it. He says, I'm going to put this much down. I want to pay this much a month. I want this much total. And I want this much on my trade in. And I go back to the manager, mm-hmm. I hand it to him, and man, he was getting frustrated. Now, this is the one that had a fit when somebody walked on me. He wasn't walking on me if he ran him off. He was walking on him, and that car had been sitting out there for about two months. It was time to go. <laughs> By the time he got done with that deal, 
all four squares matched what he wanted. <laughs> I don't know how. He got the vehicle. It was being prepped. He drives off, and the manager's talking about it with the other guy. That's the one that has a DVD player. I can't tell you what he said next. <laughs> I admired that young man. So all that to say this, the lawyer says, which one of these is the greatest commandment? If he picks out the greatest commandment, man, you got wiggle room all over the place, don't you? Well, I follow this one. I keep this one. And that's what a lot of people do. You know, they read the Bible and they say, well, God says this, but, you know, I can do this. You know which part of the Bible applies? All of it. It may not apply directly to you. Not all of the, not all of the Bible is written to you or for you. How's it go? I, I didn't come ready for it. Not all of the Bible is written for you, but it's all written to you. And Jesus says, he says, this is the first and great commandment. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And he says, and the second is like unto the first, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, Jesus knocked it down to two commandments, but guess what? If you love God, you're going to put him first. If you love God... You're going to worship him. You're not going to worship anything else. You're not going to worship idols. You're going to put him first in your life. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet his wife. You're not going to covet his possessions. You're not going to steal from him. You're not going to kill him. If you love your neighbor as yourself, then you'll take care of your neighbor and you won't violate any of those commandments. Jesus took all those commandments, just like that young man that put all the four squares, but Jesus said, here's the great commandments, two of them. But on these hang all the law and the prophets. Love God and love others. They had made an industry out of, out of God's word, out of serving God, out of keeping the outside of the cup clean. And I think I'll get carried away with that here in a minute. But on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Verse 41 while the Pharisees gathered together, and then Jesus asked them a question. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think you of Christ? Whose son is he? And they say unto him, The son of David, because they know the scriptures. And then Jesus takes the word of God and messes with their mind, if I could say that. And he, he tries to show them something. He knows they won't get it. He knows they can't answer the question because they're so hard-headed. And when you come at the Bible and you're hard-headed about it, and you're not there to hear what God has to say, and you go to God's Word and you just want to put your opinion on it, you just want to put your ideas on it, you just want to put your ways on it and justify yourself, God's Word will be like this to you. Don't get mad at me because I did that. I didn't tear any pages. But God's word will be closed up to you. And, you, and it'll be like beating yourself, your head against a wall. But he says over there, and now I've got to get back to it. But he says, he saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, 
Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Verse 46, and no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. I'll bet there were people there that would believe. And turn over to Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, the Bible says, The Lord said unto my Lord, and this is David talking, The Lord said unto my Lord, The Messiah was to come from the line of David. And when you read the first, of Matt, first chapter of Matthew, you see that whole lineage, 14 generations to 14 generations to 14 generations. And he says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. You see that again over in 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going to go there, but you'll see it there. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion and rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. Now look back at verse number four. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Look over in Hebrews. We're talking about how you approach the word of God and God opening his word to you. And Jesus was trying to open the word to him. He knew it wouldn't work. He was shutting them up. But he said, how does David say the Lord said unto my Lord if it comes from his son? How is he calling his son his Lord? Well, we know it's because Jesus is the son of God. We know about Jesus' deity. So. Say, all right, there we go. Chapter number five, Hebrews chapter number five. Uh, Verse number five, and we're going to read up to it. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made in high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See how it ties back and forth there? Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, was strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We just saw that in Psalm 110. And look what Paul says here. And I'll say Paul wrote Hebrews. Y'all can argue. For me, Paul wrote it. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. And then he goes on to talk about the meat and the milk. For when the time 
For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become as such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. When you approach God's word with an open mind and when you ask God, what will you teach me? Instead of going to it and saying, trying to fit, people take that square peg and they try to shove it in the round hole and God doesn't fit. It just doesn't work out. I don't understand. It's how you approach God's word. Or do you approach it like the Pharisees or do you approach it like, oh my goodness, like the harlots? like the publicans, like the sinners? Do you approach it and say, Lord, I see my sin, forgive me. I keep tripping up, Lord. Help me to overcome this. Lord, I need your help. So no man was able to answer him a word back in Matthew chapter 22. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. And I'm going to give you this real quick, real, real quick. This is a bonus. Here in chapter number 23, and this is what I saw after these questions, Jesus turns to everyone else, and I'm going to give you this quick. And then Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. They've asked him these questions, and now he's telling the disciples, do what they say. They're telling you Moses' law, and they're telling you those things. All those things they say, do them. But don't be like them. And he's about to go off, if I can say that. He, he is about to tear them up. Because he says, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves would not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men, and they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. They like to dress up. They like to look important and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and chief feasts in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon earth, for, none, for one is your father which is in heaven." Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And then he pronounces eight woes on the Pharisees. (coughs) He says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. You don't go in yourselves and you don't you don't let anyone else go in because of your teachings. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour the widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte when he is made. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, 
Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. And he goes on to explain it. Verse 23, woe number five. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe and mint of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. You blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. Woe unto you. This is number six. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that, that which is within the cup and platter, and that the outside of them may be clean also. And verse number seven, or uh, verse 27 Woe, number seven. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers or graves, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And woe, number eight. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. We wouldn't have killed them if we were there. Look back in the past and you look back in the Bible and say, man, I wouldn't have done that if I was there in the book of Judges. Really? Would you? Sin's in your heart. They look back at the the men that slayed the prophets, at the men that slayed Isaiah, at the men that threw Jeremiah down in the pit, at the men that saw, what was it, Ezekiel in half, they say. If I got that right. But they looked back and they said, oh, we wouldn't have done that. But Jesus says, whereof you be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send you unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. And then it goes on. God doesn't have patience for people that don't want to listen. Over in the book of Romans, it talks about how he turns them over into a reprobate mind. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. How do you approach the word of God? When you open it up, are you trying to tell God something? Or are you asking God to show you something?